we're good to go. Okay, so verse 21, Vayalu, So they went up, the spies went up, and they toured the land, Mimid Bartzin, from the desert of Tzin, Ad Rechov, Levochamas, until Rechov, on the way to Hamath. Rashi tells us that the way that the spies traversed the land, basically they went around. So they, they started in the south and southeast. They went west and then went up north, then came around, came, then went across to the east and came back down on the east side, back to where they were. So it went in a circle, basically. The way Rashi describes it, is that once they went over to the west from the from the southeast to the southwest, they went up and then across. So he calls that a like the like the letter gamma, um, the upside down but inverted L. That is how they traveled. That is that is uh, expressed. I'm gonna turn myself over. Hopefully, I won't be upside down. Uh, that is expressed in this parsha in this verse the way it's described. So Hamat, where it says at the entrance of Hamat, that refers to when they came up the, uh, to the tip, they went up north to the north uh, west, they moved, they went over to the east and that was going towards Hamat. That's what's being described in this verse. Oh, everything's okay. Verse 22, Vanegev. they went up from the Negev at the south, the dry south, and they came to Hebron. Hebron, we will learn to see in Rashi that it was not all of the spies that went to Hebron. And how do we see that? We see that because the the, the, the first verb is Vayalu, is in the plural. Vayalu, they went up. But then when it says that they came to Hebron, it says he came to Hebron. Why does it say, and he came to Hebron? Because it's only talking about one of the spies, namely Kalev. Kalev went to Hebron. What was special about Hebron? Hebron is the place where our patriarchs and matriarchs are buried. And so it was in Hebron where Kalev went to pray to Davin to beseech God and say, you know, there's something fishy about these guys. I don't want to get caught into their plot, which is to, um, we'll see what, what their plot is. He doesn't want to get caught up in that. Bisham, and then when he kept, when they got to Hebron, they see there's Achiman, Sheshai, Talmai, Elide Hanak, the children of the of the uh, giant. Hebron, the city of Hebron, Sheva Shanim Nivnitsa, was seven years built before Zoan Mitzrayim, before Zoan of Egypt. Now Rashi says, what's going on over here? Why uh, why is the verse telling us about the chronology of when Hebron was built. The Hebron was built seven years before the Zoan of Egypt. Hold on one second, friends. Okay, and we're back. Um, so Rashi says that really the Torah is not giving us chronology of when Hebron was built. That would be completely irrelevant to the subject matter. Rather, what the Torah is saying is that Hebron, which was the least fertile of all of the land of Israel. How do we know it was the least fertile? The fact that that's what the place that they chose to bury people because the land was not good for much else. It says Hebron 
is better, seven times better. In other words, it's not about years, but years is more of a metaphor of uh, multiplication. It's seven times better than Tzohan Mitzrayim, which was the most fertile and most beautiful of Egypt. The least of Israel is seven times better than the best of Egypt. Let's look at Rashi. He came to Hebron. Rashi says this was only Kalev. And what did he do there? He prayed, he prostrated himself at the graves of our forefathers. Now, by the way, this is the source where we have in the Torah this idea of going to pray at the graves of the righteous, which is a tradition that continues throughout Jewish history to this very day, even to going to Hebron, um, where people pray there and throughout Israel at the graves of the righteous and other places in the world. And indeed, Kalev was given a reward. What was his reward? His reward was that he got the place of Hebron as land of distributed to the place that he had walked. Verse 23, they came until a place called Valley of Eshkol. Eshkol is a cluster of grapes. They came there and they cut off a, a vine, a branch that had one cluster on it. And it was so heavy that they had to carry it with two poles. <laughs> they also took from the rimonim, from the pomegranates, and from the figs. Rashi tells us the fact that it says there was a moat, there was a with a staff. Obviously, there was two people who had to carry it. Why does it say bishnaim? Rashi says that means that there were two staffs. Rashi tells us there are ten spies that came back with a bad report and carried the fruits. So Kalev and Yeshua did not carry any of the fruits. The reason Kalev and Yeshua did not carry any of the fruits, even though Moshe had told them, bring, be strong and bring from the fruits of the land, they did not bring any fruits, Yeshua and Kalev, the two good spies. Why? Because they realized that the spies were using the fruits as a way to convince the people that it's not a good idea to go to this land. Therefore, they opted out. They said, we're not going to bring any fruits. So there are 10 men and one cluster of grapes. And as Rashi tells us, there's one pomegranate and one fig. So how do they divide carrying this stuff? The pomegranate is taken by one person. The fig is taken by one person. And these are very large. And the cluster is taken by eight. So four people per pole are carrying this huge cluster of grapes. Verse 24. They called this place Nachal Eshkol, the Valley of Eshkol, because of this cluster of grapes that they had cut, that the, Jew, that the sons of Israel, these 10 spies, cut from there. Very interesting, the Torah mentions that. Verse 25, by Yeshuvu Mitur Haaretz, they returned from scouting the land, Miketz Arboim Yom, at the end of 40 days. Wow, what a nice number, 40 days. Rashi tells us this was a miracle. It was a miracle that they were able to traverse the land, as we described, going around the whole land in only 40 days. It should have taken much longer. Why did it take so short? Rashi tells us because God knew that 
They're coming back with a bad report. The Jewish people are going to be staying in the desert for one year, corresponding to each day that the spies spent in the land of Canaan, land of Israel. And if they had stayed longer, they would have to stay in the desert longer. So therefore, God uh, uh, hastens their traversing the land so that they only have to be in the desert for 40 years. Rashi. Verse 26. So they went and they came. Now the Rashi will comment. The word they went is extra because we already know that they went. They could just start with saying, and they came. Rashi will address that. So they came to Moshe and Aaron and to the congregation of the children of Israel, to Midbar Paran in Kadesh, and they replied to them and to the Edah, and they showed them the fruit of the land. Rashi says, why does it say they went and they came? And he says it's to, it's to juxtapose and compare their going to their coming, just as when they returned, they came back with a bad report and they had a bad idea. So too, it, it, this is really how it started they already had these bad intentions in mind. Now, even though in Rashi, at the beginning of the Parsha, we learned yesterday that at that time they were kosher and therefore they're called anashim, men of distinction. But that was when they were chosen. But once they actually went, started the mission, once they went out on that mission, they already had, uh, that worm was already growing inside the rotten apple. By Yeshivu Oisam Davar, they replied to Moshe and Aaron. And what did they say? Verse 27, they said, we came to the land to which you have sent us. And indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey. And these are its fruits. Now, so far, so good. However, this was a ploy. Rashi tells us, no falsehood, uh, every falsehood, um, if there's a falsehood that doesn't have some truth thrown in at the beginning, it cannot be maintained in the end. And so, they're putting in some truth at the beginning to gain credibility, but really they have no intention of saying anything good about the land. They're just getting that out of the way to get to their main point. Verse 28, what's their main point? However, Az Ha'am, the people there are very strong. They are fortified. We saw the children of the giant over there. Furthermore, verse 29, Amalek, the ones who attacked us, as Rashi says, they were trying to hint, you know, Amalek, these people gave us trouble in the desert. They live right at the south. So they're hinting that they're going to be, we're going to be attacked again by the Amalekites. And then you have the Chittites, Hebusites, Amorites. They're sitting in the mountains and the Kanani is on, this, on the sea. And by the Jordan, as Rashi says, they're not even going to let us cross over the Jordan. We're surrounded. Verse 30, by Yahas Kalev So Kalev quiets everybody down. That's by Yahas. It's similar to the word Has. It's similar to the English word Hush. And it's also the way you quiet people down is Shh. Or That's actually the word by Yahas, as Rashi says. So they quiets everybody down to Moshe. What does it mean to Moshe? To give their attention about Moshe. As Rashi says, he also employed some trickery in order to get people quiet. Just as the spies used trickery to say to do bad, he did use trickery to do good. In other words, he needed to get their attention. So he made as if he's also going to pilot on Moshe. And he says, is this all that the son of Amram did to us? 
In other words, he's saying everybody's complaining. Moshe did this uh, this uh, terrible thing. Yeah, uh, terrible thing to tell us we're going to this terrible land. Did, is that all he did? And then he switched. He made the switch. He pivoted and started to praise Moshe. He said, Moshe split the sea and he brought down the man and he brought us the, the quail and so forth. And he tried to convince the people that indeed, even if, if, if he will say, let's go up to the heavens, we can make ladders and go up there. We would succeed if Moses tells us to do that. Verse 31 so now the people show their true colors. Till now, if you just read the verse, it's kind of tarif. But once Kalev spoke, he knew what exactly what they were trying to say. And he says, uh, and so now they respond. They respond and say, We're not going to be able to do it. Because he is stronger. Now, who are they talking about when they say he is stronger? You might think he's talking about the, the um, stronger than us, the Jewish people. Rashi says, no, they actually were saying something blasphemous as if the people of that nation were stronger than God, that God could not perform this miracle. So they they spread an evil report about the land, verse 32, and they said that this land through which we traversed, it is a land that consumes its inhabitants. As Rashi says, people were dying and, be, and being buried, people were being buried while they were going through. That was actually a kindness of God so that they would be busy with their thing and not notice the spies. And we saw great giants over there. And we saw the ones who fell from heaven, uh, the angels that wanted to try out being human and becoming very corrupt. And we were in their eyes like grasshoppers, and so were, and so were we in their eyes. Rashi says that they overheard people saying, what are these ants crawling amongst us verse one and now the people they're like oh no they start crying and they cry on that night and they complain against Moshe and Aaron and they say if only we would have died in the land of Egypt or died in the desert why should God bring us to this land to die by the sword our wives and our children will, will be as spoils it, should, it would be better for us to return to Egypt. And one man said to his brother, let us appoint a head. As Rashi tells us, two interpretations. One is let's appoint a king. And one is, and one is uh, let us appoint an idol, a new god with a lower case G. Moshe and Aaron fall on their faces in front of the Kaladat ben Israel. And Yeshua ben Kalev, and Kalev ben Yifuna from the Taurus of the land. They tore their garments in grief. And they said to the Jewish people, the land that which we traversed, it's very good. With that, I will stop the share and open it up to comments and questions. But just to sum up, uh, we're seeing a lot of skepticism, fear, pessimism and the Jews fall for it. Um, we also see the heroism of Kalev and Yeshua and their ability to stand above and transcend what their colleagues, their ill-fated colleagues were trying to achieve. If anyone has a comment or question, please. I have a question, Rabbi. Yeah. So we saw an unusually large cluster of grapes that had to be carried by eight people. 
a pomegranate and a fig that each had to be carried by one person. Has there ever been seen freakish fruit like that since? Um, you know, the Talmud talks about a little bit about like when Mashiach comes, where are we going to have, you know, there'll also be this kind of freakish abundance. But otherwise, I can't think of any other time where we have this. We're going to take the 238. I had a question also. Um, you know, what? maybe I missed it. I don't know. Why, why were those spies so intent? I mean, they were so intent on not having the Jewish people enter the land against God's will. Why were they so intent? Does it ever say what that's about? Um, it's a great question. If I heard you correctly, I think the Hasidic interpretation is very helpful. It comes from originally from the Arizal. Arizal says that the the men, the people of that generation were from the world of thought. And as Alter Rebbe explains and explained at length in Chabad Hasidus, that essentially they use this term. The the key, the, the uh, one of the one of the one of the the the, the code here is where they say the land consumes its inhabitants. So on the simple level, they're talking uh, physically, you know, people are dying, but on a spiritual level, they're saying that it's not possible to remain spiritually aware and enter a material world. It's not possible. Uh, and so they are preferring to stay in a desert-like existence uh, without government, without the trappings, without war, without all of the, without having to, you know, uh, engage in the normal things that nations engage in. Because they felt if we do that, we're not gonna be able to maintain our spiritual consciousness. So in a way it was coming from a spiritual place, obviously misguided. Um, and one of the interesting things is that we derive the concept of a minion. That you have to have 10 men for a minion. We derive that from the spies because there were 10 evil spies and they're called an Eda, a congregation. And that's where we get the number 10. That's how you know you need 10, not nine, eight, or 15. And so the question is, that seems to be a very odd, uh, very odd source for the idea of a minion, which is so holy and all about prayer. And the answer is that at their source, what they was driving them was this desire to be close to God, to, to feel the, the holiness and spirituality of godliness um and because of that it becomes the source of the idea of prayer because prayer is this idea that you want to be close to god and you're taking that time to be outside the earth that that consumes you you're you're you are you are putting yourself out there in a spiritual realm wow yeah, thank you. <laughs> Maybe their fear blinded them to the truth that God was trying to show them. Say again? I couldn't I hear. Said, Maybe their fear of what might happen blinded them to the truth of what God was trying to show them. So they flipped it around to say they were seeing the truth of it somehow. Could, yeah. could, that, could that be? I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems like maybe they're blinded. They're trying to be spiritual, but they're doing the opposite. Of what was necessary. Very true. Very true. There's a lot, a lot of, uh, a lot of psychology going on here. I'll just share one last thought before I sign off. 
they said that they looked, they, they felt like they were grasshoppers and that the people thought they were grasshoppers. So Rashi says they actually overheard. But the famous uh, psychologist, Rabbi Tversky, always liked to say that this was a very, this was projection. This was a, a classic psychological situation where because they felt like grasshoppers, they assumed that they were being looked at as grasshoppers. As they, as they say, if you think you cannot succeed, you're right. So that's another one of the lessons. As you said, the fear there, they, they didn't have the confidence. A lot going on with these spies and the lesson for us. If God tells you, you can do something, you can accomplish something, you can achieve something, don't let yourself doubt, get in the way. Thank you all for joining us today. Wish you a wonderful Memorial Day and hopefully see you tomorrow, 835. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.